Hi, I'm Stacy. I love talking about how to know and live out God's callings in our lives, preferably cozied up with steaming beverages in comfy armchairs. You can head to my website, stacysummero.com, for more on discernment. That's S-T-A-C-E-Y-S-U-M-E-R-E-A-U.com. I have so much to tell you. I don't know where to start. Okay, I'll start with the bad news. The bad news is my dear father has been diagnosed with lymphoma, which is cancer of the lymph systems. He's on chemotherapy. Please just join me in pray, 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 praying for him. We're hoping for good results soon. Second, on a much happier note, a Facebook post of mine went viral. It was about my husband washing my feet at our wedding reception instead of doing a garter toss. That thing has over 16.8 million views with articles on Church Pop, EWTN, Alitea, and the National Catholic Register. What? I am just so happy that more and more people are aware of the podcast and uh, many more followers on Facebook and Instagram. So if you're here because you saw that post, welcome. I'm so happy you're sitting down for coffee with me. John just has a request, uh, my husband. He's just requesting that any future comments would include the words chiseled features, okay? We have a lot of heart emojis. We're very grateful for those. Just remember, chiseled features. Thank you very much. <laughs> As all this craziness was happening with the Facebook post, I was actually off in Indianapolis speaking at the National Catholic Youth Conference. I was blessed to have a booth and I interacted with thousands of young people there. And my message that I shared with them was called, Whose Reflection Do You See in the Mirror? That was the title of my talk. It was about our worth and our dignity, which is something I'm super passionate about because I struggled for years with self-image anxiety, which led to an eating disorder. It was just brilliant and blessed to see that message hitting home to our young church. On another note, as you're thinking about your Christmas shopping, I want to just encourage you to keep my little online store on your list. There are lots of new items to peruse at stacysummerow.com. If you would like to make a sustaining gift, you can go to patreon.com slash called and caffeinated. And I so appreciate my caffeinated cronies and my caffeinated champions on Patreon. You guys are the backbone of making this show happen. Just for $5 or $10 a month, your sustaining gift helps me help support my ministry. So I so appreciate it. And it's a community for you. And at the end of the episode, we're going to have some singing, me singing for you because I like you free, no charge. Great. So Delfina Rose Art is our first episode sponsor. Artist Rebecca Guzinska creates breathtaking prints and coloring pages that will delight you and those on your Christmas list. Listeners to today's episode can enjoy 10% off their first order using the code CALLED. Visit DelfinaRoseArt.com or click on the link in the show notes. Today's episode is also sponsored by Serving the Aged Lovingly Today Mission Program, which we abbreviate as SALT. Young women ages 18 through 40 work alongside the Carmelite sisters for the aged and infirm, serving the elderly for a week. In summer 2020, there are programs in Columbus, Ohio, and in Dublin, Ireland. So get your ticket. Don't delay because there are limited spots available. So go to carmelitesisters.com slash salt dash program or click on the link in the show notes. And now let's get to my episode with the legendary Father Mike Schmitz. I'm smiling from ear to ear, you guys, just thinking about the hour I got to spend chatting with him about everything from his favorite coffee order to the deepest cry of our hearts. Let's go. Father Mike Schmitz, it is such a pleasure to have you on Called and Caffeinated. Thank you for being my guest. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. What are you drinking today? I think it's a, well, it's a, it's a coffee and it's just black coffee. <laughs> 
And okay. um, I'm trying to think of like, I was going to be very precise. It is a pipe Columbian. roast from Starbucks. You know? <laughs> it's a caribou coffee blend. That's what it is. Ooh. Light roast has more caffeine. And I thought, really? well, let the coffee do its job. And, <laughs> and, <laughs> although I don't know how deeply you want to go down the hole of coffee drinking. As but, much as you want. Okay. Well, because I would say that I don't typically drink coffee for caffeine as much as it is comfort of a lorm liquid beverage in my hand. Mm-hmm. It snowed last night here in Duluth. And so looking oh outside, warm liquid, that's what I need. Yes. Yeah, I have that psychological addiction as well. And it always gets really tough in the summer because I live in Virginia and it's like 95 oh, degrees. Wow. I'm like, but I, I need the hot coffee, but I'm sweating. <laughs> what do I do? Yeah. And so I switch over to iced coffee sometimes. But yeah, I definitely have that psychological addiction. It just makes me feel so comforted. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. Well, I, it also, it keeps me awake. I mean, not the yeah. coffee itself. Like, no, I'm literally, um, sometimes what I'll do is, is if I'm meeting with somebody, I'm just like, I'm going to just uh, heat up some water and drink that because it gives me something to do yeah. sitting there talking with people. Yeah. Actually, um, you're not the first person to say that to me. I had never heard of that before until I interviewed uh, Dan DeMatte. He's a speaker. Oh, really? He was on the other reality show. So I was on the reality show for women discerning um, religious life. He was on the reality show for men discerning priesthood. If you ever heard of that. God or the girl, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just came across Dan. I don't know. What was I doing? Oh my gosh. I'm blanking right now. But yes, we worked together. Yes. He's wonderful. He and his wife, Amber, gave a fantastic interview, but he drinks hot water. He switches over afternoon. I was like, what? And we were joking about how that's like the perfect beverage for a missionary because it costs nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) They were like, yeah, we're not really going to be converting anyone over to our lifestyle after this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So Father Mike, what calls have you received from God in your life so far? And what did receiving those calls look and feel like? Um, Great question. I would always say that there are different depths of God's call. So the universal call to holiness, the reality is we're all called to be saints. Like that's it. That's, you know, and it doesn't change. It's always going to be the case. We can choose to not respond to that call, but when it comes down to it, God will never change his invitation to holiness. I know some people can get stressed out about this, but because I always, I always break down calls into the first call, the universal call of holiness. Mm-hmm. Second, what vocation am I called to, right? So in that sense, I would think of, you know, priesthood, religious life, consecrated single life, and holy orders. Um, and then the third sense of call would be, what is God calling me to today? Like, is he calling mm-hmm. me to move? He's calling me to speak. Is he calling me not to speak? Um, calling me to, to, to re- refrain from moving. Um, and if you look at that on kind of a, a, a spectrum, that first sense of call, called holiness, never ever changes. That second sense of call will change once or twice in a person's life. And that third sense of call is constantly changing. God is constantly inviting us uh, to respond to his grace. Um, mm-hmm. He's constantly inviting us to say yes to him, no to sin. <laughs> but I think a lot of times people will see that second sense of call, like vocation, um, or even like the third sense of what does God call me to do today to, to say yes to him or, or to say no to sin. And think, okay, if I choose the wrong thing here, then what's going to happen then? Like, so when it comes to like vocation, like what if I choose the wrong vocation? Uh, yes. Well, I mean, you can, I guess, uh, but at the same time, that first sense of call will not have changed. And mm-hmm. so God will continue to call you to holiness in whatever vocation you've chosen. Or even just if you haven't chosen, for example, it can be circumstances. Uh, I know people who aren't married and they're not married because they don't want to be married. They're just not married because they haven't had the opportunity. And so it's like, well, am I missing out my vocation? Well, your primary vocation is to be a saint. And so uh, do that. Or someone else could say, yeah, I, I know people who they had discerned you know, religious life, but then got pregnant mm-hmm. and said, okay, that door is now closed to me. 
but the door to holiness is not closed. And that's, mm -hmm. I think it's super important, especially yes. um, for anyone who would be listening to this is like, it's easy to disqualify ourselves or it's easy to say, but what can God do with me now? Well, what God can do with you now or after a fall or after a disaster is the exact same thing he could do with you before a disaster. Cause then I mean, we were born, we were all born into the fall. So <laughs> none of those things uh, disqualify us from the primary call. And that's the most important, the most important one. Yeah. Which isn't really answer your question, but I thought I wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm so glad you led with that because I hear this all the time from my listeners is this anxiety and this fear of what if I choose the wrong thing? And a yeah. lot, some people also out there believe this is maybe separate but related. They believe that God's only created one person for them to marry. And yeah. so they don't follow this exact right path every single day. And it's like, whoa, that is so not how God works. Like, I think if you're thinking of it in those terms, um, you know, not to like smack anybody over the head or anything, but like you're thinking of God, you're like putting God in a box of your own making mm -hmm. because you're thinking of him in relation to maybe um, this guy who is, you know, trying to um, just looking for you to step out of line. And that is not how God's heart works at all. That's not how he loves us. Like his creativity is endless until we draw our dying breath. You know, he can bring so much good out of every situation. So I, yeah. I love that you, I love you love that. Was there something else you were going to say? Well, there's also something in there. It's a desire to spare ourselves from pain. Um, mm. Maybe not. Maybe someone is so pure of heart that they're like, no, I don't, I, I just want to do whatever God wants me to do out of purely out of love for him, which is awesome. And that would be great. Uh, a lot of times we, um, all of us, we would say, sorry, Siri just kicked in because I must have said something. <laughs> I thought I heard a female voice. I was like, oh. <laughs> what was that? I think it was in the HomePod. Um, this conversation is being recorded by Apple. <laughs> no, but that, that sense of saying, um, I want to do God's will because it's God's will and I, I love him very much. Mm. It also could be, I want to do the exact right thing. I'm afraid of choosing the wrong, making the wrong choice. Not because I'm afraid of offending God, but because I don't want to be in a place of discomfort or a place of unhappiness. And my imagination tells me that if I choose the exact right vocation, then I'll be perfectly happy. Um, if I choose the exact right spouse, then I'll be perfectly happy. If I choose you know, all these kind of things. And like, that's, that's, a, that's false. That's not even, not even close to true. I mean, mm -hmm. it, to, to someone who thinks that, I would say, have you literally, have you not read the Bible at all? <laughs> um, every page has on it is written stories of people who are doing God's will, whose lives are very, very difficult. Um, I don't know if you've heard of a guy um, he's a good friend of mine. His name is Jesus. Um, nope, never heard of him. He Tell is me more. Will the, ent the entire time. And what happens? He is rejected. He's abandoned. He's betrayed. He's crucified. He dies. Like that, that sense of you could marry anybody and still have a difficult time. You can marry anybody and have a great time. Uh, mm -hmm. Be wise about it. But it's just, again, I think the idea of choose the right vocation, then I'm going to be sparing myself from uh, pain or discomfort mm. is, is too prevalent. Um, but also it comes from a different kind of worldview. And that worldview is, is one that the goal of life is to avoid suffering. Now, obviously, the last little caveat, we want to avoid needless suffering. So we should be smart in our, or wise in our decisions. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the difference. I, I'm not going to intentionally choose a vocation that does not suit me or intentionally choose a spouse that is not inherently good or it doesn't treat me well, just mm -hmm. because like, well, I know life is difficult. So let me just embrace that now. <laughs> right? right? That makes sense? Or I don't know. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Like you have to look for compatibility in so far as possible or just like, do I get along with this person? Do I feel at home with them? You don't just go to a convent because you're like, well, this is where I'm going to be the most miserable. So this is where I should right, be. Yeah. Because God yeah, doesn't want you to... Think yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, Some people ahead. think it holier equals hard or harder equals holier. Yes. And then that is, that's just not the case. Even though, yes, God will call us to places that are difficult um, or he will allow us to go places that are difficult. Harder does not equal holier. Even like, you know, it's so interesting. There was this, there's this heresy in the church called Jansenism. That is, I would call it the second most successful heresy in the history of Christianity. Mm-hmm. And it is the idea. I mean, it really comes down to that is if you're presented with two options and option A is pleasant to you and option B is uh, odious to you, then the holier person would choose option B, would choose the thing that is more Mm -hmm. painful or or more repugnant to them. And it's like, well, that is just not, even Thomas Aquinas had written about this. I don't know exactly what he said, but he wrote about it. (laughs) And he he was saying that, no, the holier thing is always doing God's will. The God's will is not always the the harder thing. Um, Yes. And yeah, so- yeah, we can make a mess of stuff. And yeah. the thing is, it's so interesting that we're doing that because like, well, no, but I think this is what God wants. I want to do what he wants. And so let me just go down that road. So we, we already covered in the first whatever, uh, two extremes, one extreme of like, everything I'm going to do, I, I, when I discern God's will is going to keep me away from pain or discomfort, suffering. And mm-hmm. the other is all God wants, all he cares about is me entering into pain and, and discomfort and suffering. So let's stay yeah. in the middle road. I think Stacey, you got to to stay there. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And yeah, I wrote a a blog post called your vocation won't make you happy because I think so many of us look for that answer to make us happy. Um, And it's not, it's not in the answer. It's in the relationship with God. It's prioritizing that relationship that we find happiness. And my mind is going like so many different places right now. I'm like, what do I say? There's like mind explosion, but I'm just going to say that I agree and wholeheartedly with everything that you said, and that God really does want us to be happy in the big sense of the word. And sometimes that does entail suffering, but I think there's such power in stopping avoiding pain for its own sake. And because it puts you out of reach of the devil, because if you are just acting out of fear all the time, like he's got you right where he wants you. Whereas if you are truly acting out of, out of love for God and accepting that pain and that suffering, um, you are in such a place of power over him because you're yeah. being truly responsive to God's voice in your life. And, and, and that, that sense too, I've been reflecting on this a lot lately. The fact that, that joy is a fruit of the spirit. Mm. Um, the fruit is never the goal. Um, the fruit is the result of, it, of having the goal. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so the goal would be a relationship with the Lord that is dynamic and alive and is growing. And when it is dynamic and alive and growing, I'm getting closer and closer to him saying yes to him more and more Then a, like a byproduct of that is going to be joy. Um, mm-hmm. But it can't be the thing I'm ch- chasing after. It can't be the thing that I'm pursuing for many reasons. Yeah. One of those reasons is that would then become my highest value. And, and we can't actually control our level of happiness or our level mm-hmm. of joy. It has mm-hmm. to be something that in some ways we receive. Although I've been really discerning this thing. I've, we have a, uh, we've, we're doing a, a homily series right now. When I say we, I mean me, but whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> all the Father Mikes. <laughs> yeah, we all get together and we talk about this. Um, <laughs> but this, uh, last, this last one, it's on comparison. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the kind of the key lines that I've been kind of working with is from Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, and it's that he said, comparison is a thief of joy. Mm. And so then this last piece is that, well, if comparison is a thief of joy in our last four part series is going to be like, well, then you have to learn how to steal it back mm. and you have to learn how to steal joy back um, again. But that's not, the, that's not the goal, but we get that joy back or we can steal it back when we keep our mm. eyes fixed on the Lord and saying, okay, so what am I focusing on in my life? Um, what I lack or what I have, what I haven't been given or what I have been given. Um, and so, yeah, just like that fruit yeah. 
Um, yeah. Anyways, so yeah, I love. Yes, I want to talk more about comparison, but I also something just popped in my mind. I had this breakthrough. I'd love to get your thoughts on it. Um, this is like just the other day, um, and it it ties into discernment. Ties into this, you know, the, the sense of consolation and desolation and joy, like you're talking about the, the joy that results from consolation. So you go into jo- uh, consolation and desolation in your book, Pray, Decide, and Don't Worry, which is a fantastic read. Highly recommend everyone get it who's discerning a decision. Um, but you talk about St. Ignatius's rules. Um, so he's the founder of the Jesuits and he um, started, he, he came up with, I don't even know if you call it theory or whatever, but these rules for discernment where we all experience these ups and these downs. There's kind of these natural highs and lows of consolation and desolation, consolation being expansiveness and, and joy and, and just a sense of um, creativity and kind of that, just that up, you know, and then you, you all kind of also go through those downs, those desolate periods where we just feel a sense of contraction and kind of sadness and we're living out of that. And And what St. Ignatius says is not to make a decision out of desolation. Make a decision when you're in consolation. And so I kind of had this breakthrough the other day, and you can tell me your thoughts on this. I was like, okay, so if God wants us to make decisions not in desolation, but in consolation, wouldn't it follow then that what's most true in God's plan for us is those big dreams that we have, those, the cry of our heart, which is a, a positive, you know, a, an aspiration to greatness, um, moving, towards, moving towards love, moving towards being more than we are, um, creativity. Wouldn't it follow that, that the things that we experience in consolation are, are more tr- much more true in God's plan for us, and that's truly what he wants for us because he wants us to move that way when we are in consolation. Does that make sense? I think it does. And I think that, that what you're doing is, is a really good, is a good exercise, right? It's a good exercise. Mm-hmm. So if you have this theory, one of Ignatius's uh, principles was um, you never uh, change course in times of desolation mm-hmm. uh, off of what you knew was true or you knew was the, the right course in times of consolation. Um, it, it, in particular, when it comes to like a big deal, like a, mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. big decision you've made. And so, yeah, maybe, maybe that would be the case that in times of desolation, things can easily become less clear. We don't hear it necessarily as well, or we don't necessarily see as well of what God is trying to say in the midst of all those things. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I wonder. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I know, like, it doesn't mean, like, if I'm in consolation and I'm dreaming of being a rock star, it doesn't mean that I'm called to actually be a rock star. Mm-hmm. But there's something in that 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 is true in God's plan for me, whether, and, and it, it's not really tending towards, it's not tending towards my glory. It's more of a, oh my gosh, what if, you know, what if I could make a difference in people's lives by doing this thing or there's whatever it is that there's that no, more noble desire um, yeah, that and comes through and is able to, and I just like my head explodes. I get all these creative ideas and I'm not necessarily called to all of them because I have a bajillion of one ideas that I'll probably never get time for because I only have one life. But it's the it's that creativity um, that that God wants you to move toward, and um, and even if it's not like now I know I'm called to be a rock star. This specific thing, it's more of a um, just start moving in the direction of that that desire. Does that make sense? I think it does. Yeah, and I appreciate that fact that you had pointed out the distinction between just because I desire something doesn't mean that it's of God because that's, you know, Ignatius, one of the first principles that he discovered personally in his life was the famous story of when he read stories of romance and of glory in battle. Uh, he was elated and he was like, I desire that. And he got excited about this. And then afterwards he was like, Oh, kind of deflated. And, but mm-hmm. when he read stories that were, that touched a different kind of desire, uh, the desire to give God glory, the desire to do great things for him. Um, he was inspired and excited about it. And then 
afterwards, he didn't have that same kind of deflation. Mm -hmm. and, and he noted that in himself and said, oh, that tells me something. That tells me that on the one hand, it's, yeah, it's very exciting. It's very exciting to, to dream big. It's very exciting to think of like how successful I possibly could be or how, how or even how much I could help another person or whatever. But that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, it is from God. And so his discernment was then uh, the kind that does get me going. Like you said, that it taps into some kind of deeper desire mm -hmm. uh, that, that doesn't fade, that doesn't pass um, in the same way. I, I've always made the, a food comparison. Um, I'm not sure. Love I've it. probably heard it from someone before, but it's that difference between donuts and mm, we'll say yeah. bacon and eggs. I don't know why. Uh, but <laughs> so donuts, like when you're eating them, super good. Oh my gosh, this is the most amazing thing in the world. Get the sugar high and then you get the crash because you ate all the carbs and all the sugar and all that stuff. Yeah. Versus here's bacon and eggs, which is it's a stable, it's a protein. Um, and you, you're getting nourished. You're like, this is amazing. This is great. But then the energy for it is long lasting. Yes. And it's kind of like that. I think I always make that. That's the image I have in my head whenever I think of Ignatius. Mm. And it's like, okay, this, this desire is so great. It is great, but you're going to crash afterwards. And mm -hmm. this desire is good. Also, it's so great. Uh, it has this long-lasting character to it that I think is revealing. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. Um, would you say then that kind of following from that, if you kind of feel this this desire that doesn't go away, that it should at least be explored? Even at maybe desire, call, curiosity, right. something like that? Yeah. Well, I think so. I mean, I think that there's there's an element of, God, if you're constantly in my life and you're constantly calling me, you know, you're, you're interacting with me and you want me to respond. You're speaking to me and you want me to respond. Then it would be that sense of like, is this from you? And sometimes I probably gotten to a place where I say like, okay, no, that's not on my radar. It's just, mm -hmm. that's not, I can e relatively easily say no. <laughs> because, uh -huh. like, no, I just know I, you don't get when that kind of sense when you, when you're in your vocation and it's like, oh no, that, that is, that take, that would take me away from what I know I'm called to do right now. Mm. Uh, whenever someone says, would you, you know, you're in the Diocese of Duluth, right? Yes. Uh, would you ever go somewhere else, you know, diocese? I'm like, no, <laughs> I don't have to discern that at all. Like I don't, mm -hmm. not even a little bit. It is, yeah. yeah, but then if you did this, you could go, that decision's already been made. So mm. I do not have to go down that alley. Um, yes. And same thing is true for anyone in their vocation. I remember reading this book. Have you ever heard of Sheldon Van Aken? Yes. Oh, yeah. was it um, A Severe Mercy? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, such a good book. Such a good book. I remember, oh. I don't know when I read that. I might have read it in college and I absolutely loved it. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and then he has Thank a you. second book called Under the Mercy. And people were asking like, you know, tell us more about your story since Davy died and all those kind of things. And mm -hmm. one of his essays is called The False Sanction of Eros. And the okay. second word false is in parentheses. So it's the parenthetically false sanction of Eros. And okay. what he was saying was he and C.S. Lewis, obviously, as you know, were pen pals, and then mm -hmm. I think became true friends. So C.S. Lewis has said many things about this too. But just because I desire, Eros means desire, just because I desire something does not give me permission to pursue that thing. We use the example of talking with my friend Bill the other day, who says, when I'm with Sharon, I just am overwhelmed with love for her. And she just makes me feel like I've never felt before. And she makes me want to be a better man and da 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 going on. Of course, Bill is married to Sue. <laughs> and so it's like, wait. <laughs> there's that, your answer. Yeah, so there's your answer. You don't, you don't have to say, what does God want me to do? It's very clear. He wants you to be faithful to Sue. But yeah. Sue is grumpy and Sue doesn't like me like Sharon does. Like, I, I'm really sorry, um, but mm -hmm. you are married. So, you are. Anyways, yeah. Yeah. Wow. That was a rabbit trail. I apologize. <laughs> no, I love it. It's so true. This is great. 
This is gold. I love it. Um, and, you know, and I'm thinking a little further, we've kind of talked already a lot about the desires of our hearts, but um, I just, I'm thinking back to the book where you shared this wonderful story about how you saw Batman the movie and you like went home and questioned your parents whether or not you were their biological child. And yes, like, that was the super, yes, uh, Superman. Oh, yeah. Superman, excuse me. Yeah. Um, yes, and you, you were like, maybe maybe the powers are just waiting to develop. Like, <laughs> yeah, just waiting to develop. <laughs> and and you felt that that cry in your heart to you felt that cry to help people you to do something big and you know but it wasn't supposed to be unfortunately it was unrealistic for you to be superman such a shame <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, i don't know who I'm knows so you know sorry. i'm still waiting for those <laughs> it, it, it could be just delayed development it's, it's, yeah that's true maybe if you drink yeah. enough coffee it's i think it's going to it coffee and then light roast caribou <laughs> go 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 um, yes. So, but you raised the, you know, the question, like, why would God put a desire in my heart that can't be fulfilled? So what, um, how does that play into God's plan for us? Like, how do, yeah. you know, how do we let that desire point us to what we are actually called to? Discern uh, Stacey, such a good question. One of the questions we get to ask or we get to bring to the Lord when we have a desire is we get to let him reveal to us what it means. What is it that I truly desire? Um, it's, this is one of the reasons why a person who doesn't take time for serious reflective prayer uh, will have a very difficult time discerning well, unless we take time and have reflection. We, we live in such a, a non-reflective world. We live in a reactive world, that immediate gratification or the immediate, I need to know this now, or we can just go to Google and find out the answer to the whatever. Hmm. When it comes to God, it's even big questions about one's self. We have to take time. Because even if I'm like, no, no, do I want, I want the answer now. Or I'm ready for the answer now. Like you, A, you might not be, and you might not know the answer. And so I might have, that's why I have to do the self-reflection and have to like come before the Lord and say, God, with your grace, please help me. And so that whole notion of, well, why would God put this desire in my heart that can't be fulfilled? Well, the desire itself there's a, there still is a longing to be able to fly. I mean, I'm not going to deny Me that. Me too, man. I have <laughs> dreamed about it. Ah, uh, it's there. <laughs> the, 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 what's, what's at the heart of that desire is the big question. There, there were, you know, desires to, I remember looking back and thinking, well, I always wanted to uh, be Superman or Batman. I would take that, you know, um, <laughs> or, or, uh, as you, as you know, uh, Mitch Buchanan from Baywatch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a lifeguard, you know, and like, wait, what, what do all these people have in common? And, like, okay, so, so I'm putting this together and reflecting as, as I continue to live and realizing, oh man, they have, or they do, they all do the same thing. They do it different, different ways. They're different, all three fictional characters, but they all help people. They all serve people. They all rest, they save people. Like they have a consistent moral code and they consistently rise above themselves, go out of themselves uh, to those who are in need. And I'm like, that's, that's what I want to be. So the, the desire itself wouldn't, on the surface would be, oh my gosh, I want to be a whatever. And maybe that's true. But underneath the surface, I believe is revealed the heart of that desire mm. and the heart of what it really is that we want. So the same thing is true when it comes to, you mentioned rock star before, and it could be like, I want to play music professionally for, for a living. Mm. Uh, I, I want to just get up every day and play music and make music uh, with friends or make music alone. And if I could make a living doing that, that would be incredible. It also could be the case that someone's like, well, I, I want to be famous. Mm -hmm. I, I, I want to be recognized. I want people to know my name, like all mm -hmm. those kind of pieces. And so on the surface, it looks the same thing. I want to be, I want to be a rock star, a musician, whatever. But underneath, like what's the real desire here? And uh, that's so important because even if it's not necessarily like a call from God to do X or Y or whatever, mm -hmm. is like, well, I have to know, why do I want to do this in the first place? 
our desires will get purified then too. And I realized, oh my gosh, if I'm just doing this because I want to be famous, uh, I realized that that doesn't make me happy. Um, mm -hmm. If I want to do this because like, no, I just really like making music. Um, then you realize that well, I could do that in a dozen different ways. Uh, yeah. Especially I think about this. My sister goes on, one of my older sisters, uh, she goes on tour with different performing artists. And oh, she cool. helps them with wardrobe and, and hair and stuff. Oh, um, nice. And it's just like, okay, every day is a grind. Like every day is the yeah. same. Yeah. Uh, you get up, you go, you play the same songs. Like these are some famous people, you know, they play the mm -hmm. same songs. And uh, yeah, I hope you like That's doing it. that. Yeah, and, and be on a bus. I used to be on tour too, actually. I was on tour for about two years. Yeah, it was with the Broadway national tours of uh, Wizard of Oz and Beauty and the Beast. Wow, yeah, so you exactly. Yep. That, exactly. The, the whole, man, oh man. Yeah, it is a grind. It was. I mean, some days we were on the bus for 12 hours a day. Some days we were sitting, trying to do a border crossing to Canada, waiting for four hours. <laughs> actually, total side note, um, there was some escaped convict named Chris Woods and from Texas. And there was a guy on our tour named Chris Woods. No way. So we were sitting there for a whole day. We were actually almost late for the show uh, at the venue because um, they like arrested our Chris Woods, who this was the Wizard of Oz national tour. And he was the mayor of Munchkinland. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and I played his wife, the mayoress of Munchkinland. So I'm sitting there on the bus, like wondering where my husband is. My yeah. stage husband. And, um, and yeah, no, he comes back on. Anyway, the whole point is, it was a grind. It was a grind. And, and it was that action. And this, you know, this is a great, great quote from your book. You said, taking action purifies desire. Um, I just feel like I need that tattooed somewhere because yeah. <laughs> like it, I, it was through going to New York and getting up at 4am to go to auditions every day and then doing the thing, living the life that I really realized, you know what, like me fitting into this costume and being girl number three in the ensemble while understudying the leads and traveling around and being away from my family on Christmas, like that doesn't actually fulfill this deeper desire in my heart. Like yeah. it really, it, it was doing it that got me there. And you don't always have to take action to, um, to know whether or not your desire for something is pure, but like, um, I, I don't even know if you were finished your point before, but, um, but I guess my further question would be like, at what point do you take action? Yeah, no, um, that's, that's, that's awesome. Stacey to yeah. be able to, cause, because I, I, I was going to say, I really believe that. Of course I believe it. It's in the book. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but even that is a fantastic example from your own life of yeah. knowing, well, no, when it comes down to it, I, so I many, many, wow. I, I, my, like you said earlier, my brain is going in so many different directions. Um, That's me. All so, the time. <laughs> so the, uh, um, that notion of in, in, in good ways and in not good ways and bad ways, but it's always a good way. Whenever our, our desires are being clarified and being purified, that's always good because um, the excess stuff is just being burned off. It's just being, it's being mm. clarified. And so like when it comes down to it, I could know the Superman, Batman, Mitch Buchanan thing is, oh, what's really going on here is a desire to serve. Um, mm. Someone else would say, I think it was Whitney Houston. She, was her aunt Gladys Knight? Uh, I don't know. One of one of the uh, kind of singer um, Motown type thing, and mm. and at one point Whitney Houston went to her aunt and said, um, "I want to be a singer." And her aunt said, "Wait, do you want to be a singer, or do you want to sing?" Mm. And she said, "What's the difference?" She said, "Because you can sing in the choir every Sunday, and you can you could sing uh, here locally. You can whatever. If you want to be a singer, what you're saying is, I want to do all of these things that you have to do in order to be a professional singer." Um, like you were saying, getting up at four and, and showing up to these auditions and being, mm -hmm. and all these kind of, so that's what it is to be a singer, but you can sing right now. Like no one's stopping you from doing that kind of thing. 
Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons why I am a big uh, proponent of, because this gets back to your question of should you just take action, is I'm a big proponent of gathering data. Um, mm-hmm. This like, okay, I don't, I don't know yet. I don't, I'm not sure exactly, A, what I want to do or even what this entails. So uh, should I marry this person? Well, you probably should gather some data first to get to know them. <laughs> you like them. Did they like you? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, or, or when it comes to seminary, so many people. I was just like, well, go visit. And well, I know yeah. if I go visit, so many people, and this is another thing, it's just kind of like, it just became a little bit of a, a pressure on myself. And I see it on a pressure on so many people. They'll go to the convent or go to the seminary for a visit. And they've heard stories of people who will say, you know, yeah, I walked through these doors and I was just home. Like I knew this is where I belonged and I'm like, okay, that might be the case for whoever, but for you, let this just be a data gathering weekend. Like you're mm. just there to learn, you're just there to learn more. You're not there to feel a certain way. You're not there to like get the answer. You're just there to get more data. And then the pressure's off and you can start looking for the right things. And the mm-hmm. right things are, okay, now I know this about what life is like here. Now I know this about what life is like that. And, and you're actually discerning reality rather than discerning what you imagine uh, to be life like at a convent or at a seminary mm. or dating this person or as a professional entertainer, you know, like, oh, yeah. this is what it's like. Okay. Or even someone, I mean, sorry, I don't mean going on and on. It's why, it's why they have like, you know, where I'm going to shadow this doctor for the summer mm. or I'm going to shadow these teachers for this week. Yes. Because like, wait, this is what the life is like. Yeah. And that is just so good because I'm yeah. gathering data. And then data gathering is actually taking action. And so mm-hmm. when I gather data, I'm purifying my desire because I'm realizing, oh, this is, this is what I want or this isn't what I want. Um, yeah, yeah. 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 So good. Um, and I've definitely been on dates before where I felt like I was being tried on as the future wife. And I'm like, oh, oh man, you can't relax and be yourself. For real? Is that true? Yes. Oh my what God. What's that I, like? If you don't want me asking, what's, what's like yeah. the difference between like, here's a date where, where it's intentional, yeah. you know, and it's fun, but it's like, let's, let's see how we get along yeah. versus being tried on as the future wife. Well, okay. So <laughs> I dated this guy right before I just started discerning religious life. We dated for about three months and he was a really good Catholic guy. Um, but I just felt like every time we spent time together, um, like if I told him like, okay, so uh, I went through a phase where I really liked the band Muse. Um, if you, I don't know. Do you, do you know them at all? Um, I, yeah, they're my favorite. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. So like not, not a Christian band, not, a, you know, so I think they have some songs that are a little, um, a little edgy or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. And at the time I was, I didn't think anything of it. Cause I was like, well, I don't think they're inciting me to terrible action or whatever. But this guy mm-hmm. was kind of like, well, you know, like the, the drum beat is like evil. And um, he didn't say it exactly that way, but he was just like calling, <laughs> calling my musical taste into question. In fact, I remember this one time where I was just like, um, we were talking on the phone and I was like, Oh my gosh, like this song of Muse, like they didn't write it to be about God's love for us, but like it totally is. And I was like telling him the lyrics and he's like, Oh my gosh, you listened to that band or, you know, and he was like, I think yeah. that, that seems pretty evil or so it was, it was just like calling it. And there was like a lack of openness is what it was. Yeah. Um, and there was also, um, he was just like calling into question my taste in music and friends and food and all my habits. And it was kind of like, um, he had this idea of like, okay, does she make the grade check or no? Mm-hmm. Um, and there was kind of a lack of openness there. Um, and there was a lot of like, he would kind of like, like sit and look at me and like sort of nod his head with this look in his eye of like, <laughs> no, that's not really what I wanted you to say just then. Um, Versus now with my husband, like 
the, the openness and the sense of welcome of who I am is, is wonderful. And um, like, I remember um, I was, we were long distance, our whole dating relationship. And at one point, right before we got engaged, I actually moved down to Virginia to be close to my family. And I was hoping that it was like closer to where he was in Pennsylvania, but I looked and it was only like an hour closer. And I just remember I told him, I was like, dang it. Like, uh, you know, I've been planning to make this move for months now. I'm going to go ahead and do it. I'm sorry. It's not closer to you. And he just was like, Hey, I'll, I'll take what I can get. You know, I'll take whatever, whatever you can give me, like, you know, and if I'll take what I can get is not like a good, like, don't take that and put that, don't tattoo that anywhere because that's not necessary. But I mean, in that instance, he was just really welcoming of, of me and respected my decision to, to move closer to my family. And, you know, it was, it was this sense of, I don't even know if that's the best example, but it was this sense of like, I'm at your service versus are you going to fit into what I think I you know, I want, yeah. Yeah. I probably, after we hang up, I'll probably think of like so many better examples. Um, (laughs) That's, that's that's awesome. Yeah. 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 And that was a big part of my discernment was like, I I finally just figured out with this guy I was dating. I was like, I'm just, I don't feel comfortable around him. I don't feel like myself. And, and it it was hard because it was like, he's such a good guy. He's such a good person. Am I ever Mm going to find anybody better? But like, man, I'm so glad that I came to the realization that being the fear of being alone is not a good reason to marry someone. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's another piece too, is that, Mm -hmm. that sense of like, can I find someone better? Um, That's, there are so many people I know who have stayed too long in a relationship because Mm -hmm. that was the, the the fear they stayed in the relationship out of fear. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, or, or they got out of the relationship and went back to it because of fear. Um, Yes. Because of loneliness. Mm-hmm. That sense of, I, I just, I was talking with a young man recently who he, he and his girlfriend had broken up a while ago now. And um, one of the reasons why he's struggling to move on is because now he really liked her when they were dating. I like really, really liked her. And, mm-hmm. but now in the aftermath, in some ways, she's become a little bit over idealized in his mm-hmm. mind. And mm-hmm. the fact that she liked me for a while, like no one, no one like her will ever like me like this. So that was, that was the pinnacle. Mm-hmm. And I can't get, and like, well, she did break up with you. So <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> hopefully not. No one will like you like she did. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it's, it's that, um, that fear and that, this is separate, but related, I guess, moving on to a slightly different topic, just like that comparison in your mind or that expectation Mm -hmm. that you have of like, I got to take what I can get for now, rather than going off of what you know to be right in the big picture, what you knew to be true in time of consolation. I think that's what you said earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Hey there, wanted to take a quick time out to tell you about today's sponsor, Delfina Rose Art. The artist Rebecca Guzinska creates beautiful Catholic original art in an illustrative watercolor style. I absolutely love her detailed coloring pages. They are definitely going on my children's Christmas lists. My daughter's going to get a Marian Collection coloring book, and I'm having trouble for my son deciding between the Modern Saints Collection and the Monsters and Martyrs book. So maybe he'll get both. (laughs) I love that you can download the coloring books instantly, which is perfect for a last-minute Christmas gift. Delfina Rose Art also features breathtaking prints by Rebecca in vibrant color. Much of it is inspired by the old masters and even some by J.R.R. Tolkien, one of my favorite authors. You are sure to find something you love for everyone on your Christmas list. Rebecca's American, but she lives in Poland with her Polish husband and her four children, including her triplet boys literally my hero. Every purchase helps support her hardworking Catholic family. So you can check her out at delfinaroseart.com spelled D-E-L-P-H-I-N-A Rose Art, all one word. And I'm thrilled to share with you, my listeners, that you'll score 10% off your first order by using the code CALLED at checkout. 
Today's episode is also sponsored by the Serving the Aged Lovingly Today mission program, abbreviated as SALT. If you're a single young woman ages 18 through 40, or if you know any, I'm asking you to consider joining SALT for a week of service to the elderly alongside the Carmelite Sisters for the Aged and Infirm. I built this program and I believe 100% in its ability to help you discern your callings. This year, there are two programs. One's in Columbus, Ohio, and the other is in Dublin, Ireland. You can head over to my Instagram account, which is my name, at Stacy Summero, to see pictures of the beautiful chapel and retreat house in Columbus and the stunning 12th century castle overlooking the Irish Sea where the sisters reside. That's right, the convent is a for reals castle with the nursing home next door. And if you're short on cash, you'll be happy to know that salt is free of charge. It costs nothing but travel expenses. This is an absolutely incredible opportunity to gain the immeasurable satisfaction of serving others while also discerning your vocation or another life choice. I've seen lives changed and hearts moved during SALT, and I want every available young woman to experience the joy that comes from building relationships with the incredible people we serve. Visit carmelitesisters.com slash SALT dash program for more information and to apply or click on the link in the show notes. And now back to the episode. Can I move on to another question? Oh yeah, go for it. So I'm just thinking about, um, thinking about my expectations, like when I graduated college, because a lot of times we find ourselves sort of expecting greatness and we hear like, oh yeah, this is the best time of your life. And a lot of people, like my grandparents were that, you know, 1920s, like, yes, like cheering us on, you know, saved so hard for my parents to go to college. My parents saved hard for us to go to college. And they're very much like, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, greatest generation sort of thing. And they were really encouraging of me following my dreams. Um, And then, you know, I moved to New York and I kind of had this, uh, I had to be a work as a waitress. And I found that auditions were extremely competitive. There are more more than a thousand people at every audition for like, you know, 10 spots maybe. So there was kind of this expectation of like, I'm going to, you know, straight to the moon. And what I ended up finding out was that there's a lot of entry level jobs, self doubt, you're kind of slogging through, you know, maybe a job that you don't really like, but you still have to pay off your student debts. So um, yeah, what would you say to someone who's just feeling really disoriented in that place about their expectations? Well, yeah, no, that's so good. Uh, mm. I think, well, I always, I always say that um, expectation is a killer of joy. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And so while, while, Mr. Theodore Roosevelt might have said, comparison, the thief of joy. Before I came upon that quote, <laughs> I came up with my own quote, <laughs> pillar of joy, um, because I yeah. just, I was looking at my own life and recognizing that almost every time that I uh, was in the moment and, and dissatisfied with it is because I had hoped that it would be different or I had mm-hmm. imagined that it would be different. Mm-hmm. Um, so like even a, uh, a big moments like here's a here's a great big moment in someone's life i don't for example someone's wedding day and the idea of like oh my gosh my wedding day i'm gonna feel like it doesn't even have to be like perfect in the sense of the music came on and nothing went wrong and the and the flower girl actually made it down the aisle without having a meltdown and and mm. every you know the dress looked this the way i thought it would it could even be although that that could be a piece of it but it also could be i thought i would feel different Mm. Like I, I thought that I'd be happier. I thought I'd be so like I've seen on movies where the the person just overwhelmed by like uh, here's the groom and he's looking at the bride and he's just he can't even contain himself. He bursts into tears at just how beautiful she is. I thought I would mm. feel like that, mm-hmm. and that that expectation is like well is that rooted in reality? Hey, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. I would say like do you ever look at your fiance and burst into tears right now? 
because <laughs> if you do that now when she's really, you know, look, looks really nice or whatever, um, then yeah, maybe you could expect that to happen on your wedding day. Uh, but if you've never done that before, I don't think this is going to happen to you on your wedding day. Mm. Um, and, and so what happens though is, is people are like, well, I expected it to be other than it was. And again, we'll go back to my boy, C.S. Lewis. Um, at one point he was in the, his book, Surprised by Joy, which is his spiritual autobiography. He, was, he said that he was sent off to, to study under this tutor. Um, and the tutor picked him up, was pretty uh, laconic, you know, kind of stoic man. Mm. And um, he, C.S. Lewis himself, as a young man, like maybe a teenager, was trying to make conversation. And he said something along the lines of, um, oh, I didn't expect it to be so hilly here or something like that. And uh, the man stopped and looked at him and said, why would you expect it to be hilly or not expect it to be hilly? Like, what was the basis for your expectation? Mm. And Lewis suggests he was just making conversation, just kind of a, oh, I observe this. And the tutor was tutoring him and said, mm. this is a moment for you to learn something um, that if you don't have any basis for your, your expectation, then don't have an expectation, right? That kind of a, yeah. a sense. And so similarly, uh, when someone would, would say something along the lines of, um, I didn't expect it to be like this. I would say, well, mm. A, what did you expect it to be like? And B, what was your basis for expectation about that? And it could be like, well, because um, I watched a lot of movies where people graduated college and they made it big. Or I, I've heard stories about like, I've been told my entire life that I'm very special. And um, I believed it. Mm. And therefore, I thought that when I got out into the world, they would treat me special too. And like, okay. That's, that's a basis. I'm not saying you're foolish because of that. Not you, Stacey. I'm just saying the person you. <laughs> I'm you <know>. foolish. Oh, no. <laughs> but, like, but, like, but, but like, okay, that, oh, that's why. That's why I expected mm. this. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that it's really good to be able to step back from that and say, like, oh, this is how it is. I'm going to accept what is rather than uh, fight against or buck against or resent um, what I thought it would be. Does that make sense? What do you think of I, Yeah. That's the oh, first I, step I would say. I mean, there's more totally to it, agree. but I. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. I, I think, um, you know, just going back again to when I thought, you know, I was going to make it big on Broadway and that was going to be my happiness. Um, I hadn't actually gone to an audition in New York city yet. Mm -hmm. And I had incredible beginner's luck. My very first audition, I booked it. It was the wizard of Oz awesome. national tour. So then yeah. I went to my second audition in New York city three days after tour ended. And I went, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is really hard. And I auditioned for six months before and almost had a nervous breakdown before realizing that like, this is the life of an actor. Because mm -hmm. going back to what you said earlier, like I hadn't gathered any data before I actually went up to New York to audition. I never auditioned in college and never visited. Well, I did visit in high school, but I never went to an audition. So it was, you know, I think gathering actual real life data. And yeah, I totally agree. Getting back to those, those reasons that you thought, um, that you thought you were special or you thought that you were the best or whatever. Um, and I think there's, it's one of the kind of downsides, I guess, of being in college is maybe you're a big fish in a small pond, um, right. depending on what college you go to and maybe same thing with high school. And of course you've had the love and support, hopefully of your parents. Right. Um, and nobody's going to love you like your parents. <laughs> um, so it's, it's, it's sort of this emerging out into, you know, quote unquote, the real world. And yeah, it takes a little while to just recognize that, like you are good and you are, you are special. You are unique. However, it's maybe not going to look the way that you thought it would. And maybe it's going to be a lifelong journey. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's a good thing because why would you ever want to have your dreams by age 25 anyway? Because then wouldn't the rest of your life be boring? <laughs> so, 
Yeah. Yeah. Was there anything else you wanted to say on that? Yeah. I don't know. Just because mm-hmm. just reflect, reflecting on this is just so good. I mean, I, I, I think it's interesting at least. Me too. That yeah. sense of, um, I think we can use the same word and we use it differently. Um, not you and I, but just like we in general as human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, what person is, you know, has value, person ha- is special, is unique, but not in the same way or not. When I would say not, not in the way that like, you know, they'll, that doesn't guarantee anything. Uh, mm. uh, it doesn't even guarantee that people will value the way that you are unique or special or, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. you know, that's yeah. like, and, and so even where does that come from? And I, I think particularly as, as Catholics, as Catholic Christians, we would say, okay, here's where it comes down to is, is the only reason really that I am special in any way, shape or form is because I'm made in God's image and likeness and because mm-hmm. I'm redeemed by him. Other than that, like literally I'm zero. I'm less than zero. I'm absolutely meaningless in the sense of it's actually God's love for me that gives me value. Mm-hmm. It's not me and myself that has any value. It's God's mm-hmm. love for me that actually takes a, a nothing, literally a nothing, and makes it into something. And he does that at, at our birth, right? He does it at our conception. He takes literally nothing <laughs> and makes it into something. Mm-hmm. And so it's everything, everything unique or special or everything uh, that is, is, is worth loving in me is comes because he put it there because he loves me. Um, and I think this is worth reflecting on. If God did not love me, I would be, I would be nothing. And so that let's, let's expand that then. It's like, so when I say, uh, well, where we say like, you know, you were um, unique and special and gifted, that doesn't mean the same thing in the sense of like, and therefore you deserve X, Y, and Z. It's like, no, no, mm. <laughs> you have uh, a God who infinitely loves you already. Mm-hmm. And that is what makes you, unique and gifted yes. and special it's not so that now you can have something else or so that now people recognize it it's uh you already possess everything that the lord in some ways as always this might be a too overstatement but like you already possess everything the lord desires you to have um mm. like that's gonna last you have yeah. his you have his infinite love the question is am i going to be satisfied with his infinite love am i going to respond to his infinite love by choosing to give him glory with my choices and with my life or am I going to say, thank you for the infinite love, God. I want to find my happiness somewhere else too, because I like the infinite love. It's super nice, especially like for after I die. But like right now, <laughs> um, what I want is I want success in this field, or I want mm. to be loved by these people or this person. Mm. Um, and that's such an interesting thing that we, and again, we all do it, I think, yeah. bit, except maybe the holiest of us. I don't know. Yeah, that, no, that resonates so deeply. In fact, I, I love talking about self-image and self-worth and our identity. And mm. I mean, really, it totally destroyed my self-confidence when I started looking around at different people who I wanted to validate me and started making them the measure of my worth. Yeah. Um, it led to an eating disorder. And it was really just the, the, learning to see myself as God sees me, that really healed me from that. Because you, if you look to anything, anyone other than God, you're just, um, you're putting yourself on a roller coaster. And, yeah. and I think too, it, it helps, like, it's just, it's really soothing. It's wonderful to remember <laughs> that this present moment, no matter how unfinished you are, like you already have what you need. Not, this moment is not wasted because you have that relationship with God, which is going to continue into all of eternity. This is just yeah. the beginning of the party. Yeah. So cool. Um, I think going along with expectations is comparison. And, you know, we're living in this, this hyper, um, I don't even know what you'd call it, just this hyper reality right now with social media. Mm-hmm. And you did this great YouTube video about the burden behind the burden. 
Can you explain yeah. what that means if you remember that one and um, how we carry the weight of others' expectations and how our comparison sort of leads to such great unhappiness for us? Yeah, I think so. Um, well, one of the things that uh, there's, there, there's, every one of us has to work in some ways. We have, we all, we're all carrying, carrying some kind of burden. Mm -hmm. um, and that is, that is heavy enough in so many ways. So it's, uh, so this burden could be just my daily work. It could just be, you know, this is the, my lot in life. Uh, it doesn't have to be overly dramatic, but it could just be, um, for example, uh, here I'm on the college campus. So I'm thinking about a student I met with yesterday who said that I'm really not stressed about anything uh, until, until, until it comes to school. And then for whatever reason, like, man, my, my stress cup fills up really quick. And he used this mm. example about a cup that fills up. Anyways, um, <laughs> and so I'm like, okay. So, and I, I had to ask him like, so why, why, why school? He's like, I don't know. I'm like, well, let's look at it though. Because if you're saying that for the most part, you are rarely ever stressed out, you're rarely, but when it comes to this area in your life, wouldn't you want to know about it some more? He's like, well, I guess I should. <laughs> and so, okay, let's do this. And, uh, <laughs> It's like, is it because of like the deadlines? Like you have a paper to write, there's a deadline now and, and deadlines kind of stress you out because it means you have to like actually do the work. And like, I don't know, maybe, and is it because you're going to be graded on it? And he's like, well, I don't really care if I get B's or C's or A's or it doesn't matter to me. Like, okay, but really, <laughs> if the only area in life is also associated with an area where you get assessed and graded, um, maybe that's the thing to take a look at. Um, but the point is he could be doing work in any number of fields. But it was in a field that we, as we kind of got down to it, a field that someone would evaluate it and hand it back to him and say, this is what your work is worth, or this is what your work is rated at, according to me, mm -hmm. um, that that was like, that, that was the burden. So then um, if it was just work, like I have to write a paper and I don't, um, and I'm going to do my best. Great. Wonderful. That's hard. It can be difficult, but you're free in that because you're only carrying the weight of the work it takes to write a paper. But if you're also carrying the weight of someone's going to assess this and grade this, and then I will be of the value that they assign to my work. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, the, that's the work behind the work, or that's the burden uh, beneath the burden. Uh, another thing could be, that's just our daily work, but another one could be when it comes to, say, a cross someone carries. Like, here's a wound that is in my life, and that can be really difficult to carry. I mean, think of anyone, whether it's illness or uh, a besetting sin, or it could be just anything, right? That's just like, mm -hmm. this is just so painful to carry. That on its own is going to be difficult. But if I'm also carrying the burden of resentment uh, over the fact that I have to carry this burden, if I'm also mm -hmm. carrying the burden of a constant refrain in my, in my mind or my heart with everyone I talk to is like, why? Why is this happening? Why is this happening? Like, I need to know why. Then I'm also carrying a burden in addition to the burden. And I don't need to. Like, I, I don't, I don't need to hold on to this burden of resentment uh, over my illness, a resentment over this, this real suffering. Why not just carry the suffering and in the course of that, trust the Lord? Mm -hmm. um, and that's the thing. Then whenever, you know, and it's, it's, re it's real. It's, it's not like I'm trying to minimize someone's real pain. Um, mm -hmm. but, no, yeah. but to come back to this place where like, I need to know why, I would say, well, I, you know what's going to happen is God could. He could tell you exactly why. Um, and I have a sense that that wouldn't actually be enough. Like I have a sense that his answer to you wouldn't be enough because then if he tells you, I mean, think about like when we're behaving like a four-year-old and no offense to anyone who's in suffering and ask the question why, because it's okay to ask. It's a very human thing to do. Um, we say, why? And you give, an, you give a four-year-old an answer and they say, well, why? And then you give another answer. Well, why? 
That's my son. Yeah. (laughs) And you're like, okay, uh, at some point, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Um, This is my answer. Please trust me. Yeah. And, And that's the key. Until we trust the Lord, he cannot, he will not be able to give us enough reasons why. Mm-hmm. Um, and not because he doesn't want to, but because they won't be enough for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we get to the place, and this is just, it's a gift from him, um, but it's also a decision on our part to operate with it, where, where once we realize, oh, I can trust him. He actually does love me. I might not know the meaning of this moment, but I am absolutely convinced that there is a God who loves me. And so I know that this moment has meaning. Mm-hmm. And that, that core gets helpless escape the burden beneath the burden mm-hmm. because I'm like, okay, let me just carry the burden. I don't have to also carry the burden of resentment or the burden of, of hostility, a burden of, I need to know why distrust. Mm-hmm. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. Um, it so resonates so deeply because, oh my gosh, just even last week, it was this, this pivotal moment for me is my dad um, got diagnosed with cancer a couple of weeks ago oh, and he went through this experimental treatment. It didn't work. Now he's on chemotherapy. Like this is like day five of chemo mm-hmm. for him. And in addition to that, we just had, we spent four mornings trying to fix one of our cars and it kept dying. So I'm there waiting for the tow truck and I just feel like everything is uncharted. Yeah. And I, and I was just so like under so much stress. And then I kind of, <clears throat> I had this moment of like, just, just mental turnaround. I don't even know why some grace was given to me. Um, cause I was praying about it and I was like, you know what? Like I'm living as though my dad has died. Like that is a burden behind the burden that I'm carrying right now yeah. is the fear of what if my dad has the most horrible, slow, painful death possible. Um, what if we have to buy a new car and I'm just, I don't have the time, you know, to, to go research new cars. Like I don't want us to have to spend the money on that, that kind of thing. And I'm carrying like this burden of the what ifs and the worst case scenario. Yeah. And it's, it's was so much heavier than the actual burden of, okay, you know, they're, the doctors are trying right now. We don't know, but my dad is here right now. And the tow truck is on its way. It's going it, to, we're going to get this fixed. And it was this, this switch from, I don't want to overgeneralize and say negativity to positivity. Like, you know, you just kind of pull yourself up by your own bootstraps kind of thing. But it really was this moment of grace. And then I was thinking of um, the Blessed Mother, like singing her Magnificat. Like she's singing, my soul magnifies the Lord. And she's in this place of incredible uncertainty. Yeah, Um, And she's not carrying the burden beneath the burden because like she is going to be found out to be pregnant with a child who everyone in her community is going to think is illicit. And like, she's facing these huge, incredible unknowns. And yet she's still singing to God for his goodness in that moment. And I was like, what? that's, that's how to do it right there. (laughs) Right. Uh, That's that's such a great example too, because it it is um, some, so so often we can overly sanitize the, Uh uh, the saints or even our lady and realize, I mean, just like uh, I shared this before, but, um, the joyful mysteries of the rosary, every one of them is touched by pain and uncertainty. Like every one of them has this mm-hmm. depth of uh, um, distress to it, where mm-hmm. there'd be the Annunciation, and she's like, wait, what? And you know, he's, all, all Gabriel says is, this is what's going to happen. And here's Mary's clarifying question. I was in this meeting, and Gabriel answers, and she says, let it be done to me according to thy word. And um, the next line is, then the angel departed from her. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's yeah. it. Like, oh, oh, okay. Well, that's, I didn't expect, I thought, God, when you showed me my, voca- my vocation, that all my questions would be answered. I have mm-hmm. about a billion more. <laughs> you just mm-hmm. actually amplified my number of questions. 
And same thing with, you know, like you mentioned with the visitation and the yeah. Magnificat, um, with the, the nativity, it's mm-hmm. here you are traveling at eight and a half months, nine months, whatever it is, pregnant. And like, why are we leaving home? Like, what is going to happen on the way? There's no place for us to stay. All these pieces, um, uncertainty and pain and just, and yet they're the joyful mysteries, which is yeah to us. that's a really good point yeah mary's like okay i don't even have a hospital or a home or well i guess they didn't really give birth in hospitals back then but she's like i don't even have like a hotel to stay at right. <laughs> stay, yeah. like, in the barn yeah man that's so true i know i need to um let you go really soon do you have time for one more question absolutely yeah yes love it okay this is a question from a listener how do you discern if your anxiety is coming from the fact that you have an anxiety disorder or that it's the wrong choice or the wrong, she used the word vocation, but I would say, I don't think she's actually um, chosen a vocation yet, like marriage or right. anything. So I think she's thinking choice, like life choice, like job or something like that. Yeah. Well, uh, the first thing I would say is if, if someone is concerned that they might have an anxiety disorder, then they should uh, talk to someone who's a medical professional, mm-hmm. a psychologist or psychiatrist about that. And I think it's worth noting that while I think we've made a lot of strides when it comes to mental health and talking about uh, mental health issues, that there are still is a stigma like, why we shouldn't have to go see a psychologist? I shouldn't have to go see a therapist or, you know, it's completely fine. You, if you had a, a nagging cough that wouldn't go away, hopefully you would go see the doctor really quickly mm-hmm. and say, um, I, don't know what, I don't know what's going on here. Is this normal or is this just, is this something I, I should take a look at? And this would be the same kind of thing when it comes to if someone's dealing with anxiety, it would say, well, just, you know, ask someone who would at least be able to answer that one question, which is, yeah. is this a clinical level of anxiety or is this kind of just a, uh, not that, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. is this like your normal level of anxiety over making decisions? Um, that's my absolute first step. If person is even asking the question, I would say that it must be big enough that you should get that question answered. And the best way to answer that question is, you know, doing an assessment with someone who uh, knows how to do assessments about mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. clinical levels of anxiety. So that's the first piece. Totally. And then the second piece, I remember uh, reading that there, there was this, uh, this community or like kind of a, what do you call it? Halfway house might be a, that's not the right word, a, a treatment center. That's what it was, a treatment center for adolescents who were really dealing with some deeper anxiety. And um, they had a definition for anxiety that I just really appreciated. Hopefully I can get it right. Um, they said, we experience anxiety when our anticipation of future pain is greater than we feel we're able to cope with. Mm. Um, something like that, or a strength to cope. So a lot of times, anxiety doesn't happen in the moment. Um, sometimes it does, right? So sometimes it's like, I'm on stage, and I'm stage right. There is the, but typically, it's leading up to the moment. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to encounter this time of pain, and it's going to be bigger than my ability to cope with that pain. Um, that's where we experience anxiety. It's, it's almost, uh, it's almost always, maybe not, but <laughs> at least my understanding, and I could be completely wrong. And you could have some listeners who, uh, contact you and say, he's completely wrong <laughs> in the present moment. But I think a lot of the anxiety that we feel maybe on a non-clinical level would be in anticipation. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's the, uh, what if the future difficulty is greater than my ability to cope with that future difficulty? Mm. Um, and maybe that's even true in the moment. Where it's like, I don't, the, the present moment, the present pain, present difficulty is greater than my ability to cope. Um, mm-hmm. And so I yeah. think that's a, 
Yeah, I don't know. Really good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Uh, Father Mike, I just, I so appreciate your time and expertise. This has been such a pleasure. I'm I really, really grateful. Yeah. Thank you so yeah. much, Stacey. Yeah. Thank you. It's been so great to have coffee with you. Yes. Still <laughs> sipping on mine, still finishing up that second cup. But yeah, I'm, oh, this is just the first and I'm, I'm milking it. Ooh. I'm so <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, um, I wish we were in the same town so I could buy you a coffee, but it, for now, the magical interwebs have been good to us. And I just <laughs> am so appreciative of all your expertise. I know my listeners are going to really, really benefit from and love this episode. So well, I really appreciate you. Thank you so much for what you're doing. And thanks for just really great talking with you. You too. God bless Father Mike. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Father Mike as much as I did. Uh, Truly, it's a pleasure to sit down and have coffee with you. And I'm so glad if this is your first time or your 31st time, I'm so glad you're here. If you have a few minutes, I would just so appreciate if you could write an iTunes review. Those reviews are like gold. They truly do help the podcast get seen by more eyes through iTunes, which is one of the big platforms on which I am hoping to uh, distribute this work that I'm doing. So I hope you have a wonderful two weeks. Have a happy, happy Advent and great, wonderful preparation for Christmas. I'm going to be singing for you one of my very favorite Advent hymns. It is Gabriel's Message. And so I just hope that you love it. Okay, God bless. When I see you next, Advent will be almost over. The angel Gabriel from heaven came. His wings as drifted snow, his eyes as flame. All hail, said he, the lowly maiden Mary. Most highly favored lady, Yeah.